Before we dive into today's video, I would appreciate it if you commented your thoughts and predictions for Nebraska football's 2023 season down in the comments section below. If you want to go the extra mile, please include a record prediction and a bowl projection if you believe that the Cornhuskers will be bowl eligible at the conclusion of the 2023 regular season. I want to start out this video talking about Matt Rule in year one. And what do we think about Matt Rule and what he has done at previous programs entering year one, what he does to programs in the sense of culture, recruiting, development, and what do we think that Matt Rule will do with Nebraska today? in today's era of college football, not 2019, 18, or 17 with Baylor, and not 2016, 15, 14, or 13 with Temple. The sport of college football has changed tremendously since then. And even if we were in that era of college football, Matt Rule at Nebraska would have far more resources than Temple or Baylor could ever dream of having. He has a far more talented roster with several blue chip players and several players that have speed, athleticism, and I would argue a wide receiver room, a quarterback room, and a running back room that is definitely in the top half of the Big Ten. Defensively, there are underrated pieces at secondary, and Matt Rule has a school that was one of the innovators and pioneers of the name, image, and likeness era in the Big Ten, dishing out NIL deals as early as the 2022 preseason, which wasn't all that common for every program around the nation. I remember that Ochon Mathis got a sizable name, image, and likeness deal to come to Nebraska instead of going in-state and playing for the Texas Longhorns. And the Texas Longhorns even though their defense did take a step forward last year and it was better than Nebraska's defense, Texas could have used a player like Ochon Mathis on their defensive front four. And instead, Texas lost out on him and Nebraska ended up getting a player who was great at TCU. And even though he didn't have a massive breakout season at Nebraska, he was far from the only problem, if a problem at all. For that 2022 Cornhusker defense. The 2022 Blackshirt unit was atrocious. It was one of Eric Chenander's worst defenses, and that includes the 2018 and 2019 defenses that were just an atrocity under the Scott Frost era. And speaking of Scott Frost, he does not have a job in college football. You know, Paul Christ moved on to be an analyst at Texas. Jim Leonard is an off-the-field assistant at Illinois, and even Pat Fitzgerald is volunteering and working at a high school football program where his sons play. Scott Frost has disappeared off of the face of the earth, and I'm not going to talk about Scott Frost too much in today's video, but the reason I wanted to bring up his name is because Nebraska football is in a terrible state. He... Scott Frost wrecked this program. He continued what Mike Riley did. He didn't make it as disgusting, but it was still bad, and that's the reason that he's no longer employed. He was with Nebraska for five seasons, and in the close games, 
Scott Frost could never, ever come through. And I think that will be one thing that Matt Rule certainly changes, I would say rather quickly. Now, only time will tell, but I think that with the transfer portal era, with greater talent than Matt Rule has laid his eyes on ever in the college game, obviously coaching with the Carolina Panthers means you get to coach some of college football's formerly best players who've now moved on to the league, but just look at Baylor's 2019 season, where the Baylor Bears beat Rice, Iowa State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, TCU. They beat those teams all by single digits. In some cases, like TCU and Texas Tech, they won in overtime. Other cases, they only beat Iowa State by two points, and Rice, who obviously group of five program, they only beat Rice by eight points. All of those games were wins, and then every loss in that 11-3 and season was by less than two touchdowns. The two losses to Oklahoma were by three points in the regular season and six points in overtime in the Big 12 championship game, respectively and then a 12-point loss to Georgia in the Sugar Bowl after the 2019 regular season came to an end. Matt Rule and Baylor went 11-3 that year, 8-1 in the Big 12, and they finished ranked number 13 and number 12 in the AP and Coaches Poll, respectively. Now, that was in year three of the Baylor-Bear football program when Matt Rule was there, but I think that with the new era that college football is in, the fact that this roster has highly talented players like Jeff Sims and Heinrich Harburg and Chubba Purdy at quarterback, who are all athletic, that Gabe Irvin Jr., Ramir Johnson, and Anthony Grant and Emmett Johnson are in that backfield, that at wide receiver, we know that Billy Kemp IV is a talented player, Marcus Washington and Isaiah Garcia Castaneda had great moments last season in a season that offensively was woefully underperforming. And then defensively, Malcolm Hartzog, who was a true freshman last year, he had a breakout season. Then guys like Quentin Newsom, Omar Brown, Deshaun Singleton, Isaac Gifford, these are players that have been with the program for a few years that very well could each have their own type of breakout season. And then Nick Henrich, Luke Reimer, other veterans who've been with the program who could improve off of last year's season. There are plenty of experienced players and highly talented players on this roster. And 2022, remember Nebraska in 2022, they went 4-8. and eight. And it was not a pretty 4-8. and eight. It was, in fact, an uglier season than the 2021 season was. In 2021, Nebraska played every team competitively, they were in every game, and the games that they won were blowout-dominating wins. It's why Nebraska scored around 28 points per game in 2021 and only gave up 23 points per game. They had a big, like massive positive point differential, but they lost nine games because they were the definition of anti-clutch. In 2022, Nebraska won an extra game, a rival win on the road in the Heroes game against Iowa, but... They only scored around 23 points per game on offense and allowed 28 points per game on defense. Scott Frost leaving and Mickey Joseph coming in made the team more clutch, 
They achieved comeback wins against Rutgers and against Iowa. They didn't blow the lead like I thought they might have at the end of the game. And in 2023, I wouldn't expect the team to be as talented or have the same ceiling that that 2021 unit had, but my expectation for the 2023 unit is that they can put together some games where maybe they shouldn't win on paper, but they come out and they, whether it's they dominate or whether it's a rock fight, like what we're used to in the Big Ten, running the football, controlling the trenches, which is weird to say with Nebraska, but even with what I think will be once again mediocre trench play, I think that at tight end, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, and then defensively at linebacker, edge, and defensive back, they may be able to get away with some games where their trench play is made up with their offensive and defensive skill positions being amongst the top half in the conference. I think that in year one, you have to be patient with Matt Rule. That's an absolute must, because I think that it could go anywhere from winning four, five, six, heck, maybe even three games, even though I don't think that's a realistic possibility for going three and nine. I think this team has too much talent. Or with the transfer portal, with a staff that includes Tony White as the defensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield as the offensive coordinator, and a revamped strength and conditioning staff, and a head coach who is a proven winner and a proven builder, maybe Nebraska comes out and they do the unthinkable and win the West in its final year as a division that exists, as the Big Ten, when they have 18 teams in 2024, will move to that round-robin schedule, which that will be exciting for Nebraska as well. Maybe Nebraska plays Oregon again, or they... They played UCLA in a home, I think a home-and-home series in the early 2010s. We'll see how the 2024 schedule works out. But the good thing about Matt Rule coming here to Lincoln before the West is abolished is you also do have that easier schedule. Playing Purdue in Illinois, Northwestern, and Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, all those teams in the Big Ten West playing them as opposed to mixing in those opponents with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, USC, Oregon, Washington. If you're solely looking to gain wins and get momentum, you would much rather prefer the former option. And being in year one, I think that that's a perfect schedule for Nebraska. As we'll see here in a few minutes, they only play one team who I think outclasses them wildly at every position on and off the field, and that's Michigan. And they get that as a home game, not a road game, like last season. I think this will be the most talented roster Matt Rule has ever coached. I didn't say the best, because when I'm talking about talent, I'm talking about mainly high school recruiting talent and like the blue chip ratio, resources, things like that. And I guarantee you that Matt Rule's 2019 Baylor team was probably developed better, overall will be a better team, but just by sheer talent on the field, I think this is the most talented roster he's ever coached in the college game. And he typically starts out slow in year one, but as I've said earlier, the expectations are different now. The world of college football has changed since 2019. You can go out and get Jeff Sims, Chief Borders, MJ Sherman. 
You can get Billy Kemp the fourth. You can get Josh Fleeks, who played under Matt Rule in 2019, and even before then, I do believe. And you can, you know, you can get all these different players from the transfer portal. Corey Collier. And last year, under Scott Frost, Timmy Bleak Road, Brian Buscini, you get Omar Brown, Casey Thompson, Noridan Newley came in before the transfer portal became this widely popularized access for teams to rebuild and reload for their rosters. But even Scott Frost used the portal to his advantage, and he tried to use it successfully. It didn't exactly work, though I would say his coaching was more so the reason why the team failed, obviously, than getting the wrong transfers in, as I thought Casey Thompson was one of Nebraska's better players last season, which shows that Jeff Sims beating him out, I think, shows how talented this team could be. And we all know that Jeff Sims, standing at over six foot tall, 200 pounds, dual threat quarterback, monster athlete. So the expectations, I think, should be go to a bowl game. Now, if he doesn't make a bowl game, that doesn't mean he's a disappointment. That doesn't mean that we have to rethink if he's a good head coach or not. But with the schedule that Nebraska has presented to it, I think the expectation that if you're a great head coach, this roster's good, you're bringing in a solid staff that's probably underselling the staff. You're bringing in a good to great staff. You have to go out there and you have to win. You can beat Colorado. You can beat Northern Illinois. You can beat Purdue and even Illinois and contend with Minnesota, Wisconsin. You beat Iowa last year. You can beat them again at home. And Michigan, in 2021, struggled to come out with a win. So Nebraska has a lot of wins, potential wins, on their schedule in my mind. I think they can at least get to 6-6 and go to a bowl game in Matt Rule's first year with the program. Going to my schedule predictions, which we've seen in my Big Ten predictions video, not my top 25 videos. Nebraska did not make my top 25 this season, unlike last year, which I don't want to talk about. But if you didn't watch my Big Ten predictions video or my top 25 video, the summer editions of each of those, those will be linked down below in the video description, and I encourage you to check them out and watch those videos. Thank you very much. Nebraska, according to my power rankings, is a middle-of-the-road Power 5 team. Their offense will be better than their defense slightly. This is an area where I somewhat disagree with my power rankings, as I think the offense will probably be better than middle-of-the-road for Power 5, and I think the defense will be either middle-of-the-road average or below-average, potentially even bad, as I think that that front three is going to be very vulnerable this year because of new starting talent. For example, whether it's Cameron Lenhart, whether it's Nash Hutchmaker, Ty Robinson, Blaze Gunnarsson, Kai Wallen, there are players on that front three that, I mean, outside of Ty Robinson and Nash Hutchmaker, these are players that are newer. They're not necessarily veterans, and it is a new scheme. And Garrett Nelson... Caleb Tanner, Ochon Mathis, these were players that made Nebraska's front seven, front four, what it formerly was, that made it formidable, at least on paper, they're gone. They're totally gone. 
And I think that as a result of that and that sheer amount of lost production, I think that the defensive line will step back. The offensive line, I think that Donovan Raiola and Matt Rule and Marcus Satterfield and the recruiting staff are going to have to recruit and have addition by subtraction in regards to the offensive line. I think that the best player on the offensive line will probably be Ben Scott, the center, Ethan Piper, Norden Newley, Bryce Benhart, Turner Corcoran. I just, I don't trust those players on the offensive line. I don't. They've all been with the program. Unlike the defensive line, they are veterans, they have experience, but they are proven to be bad players, in my mind, in the trenches. And maybe Rule, maybe it was really just purely coaching, not just development, not just recruit, not just recruiting or coaching, but it was all schematics, and maybe Rule comes in in year one and the offensive line's really good, but I don't see that happening. I think that this offense will score nearly five touchdowns a game on average. They have a lot of star power, especially at quarterback, wide receiver, running back in the tight end rooms. I think tight end is potentially a strength for the team, but the more I look at the tight end room, especially with Eric Gilbert not being listed on even the three deep of Nebraska's updated roster, I have doubts about whether that room is going to be a strong point. I think that it will be stronger than the defense, but running back, wide receiver, quarterback are areas that I would more look to overall for being strong points of the team, as well as the staff, and I think the special teams with Timmy Bleakroad and Brian Buscini will be respectable as well. I look at Nebraska's schedule, and Colorado, Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech, Northwestern, Purdue, Maryland. I mean, those are games that five of those games, five of them, I'd say outside of the Maryland game, in my mind, are nearly guaranteed wins. Maybe if you want to say that Purdue is enough talent to where that statement makes you anxious, I would say Northwestern, Louisiana Tech, Northern Illinois, and Colorado are. Nebraska has more talent than all of those teams. Colorado might be close in talent to Nebraska, but it will take time for that roster at Colorado to gel. They open up against TCU, who I think will handily spank them, for lack of a better term, and I would expect Nebraska to do the same, as I think they're better coached, they have better roster chemistry, and no, they they aren't strong in the trenches, but Colorado isn't either. Their strong point is essentially Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, and another safety whose name I forget. And outside of that, and some other transfer portal players, there really isn't a key position group for Colorado that I could list as relatively impressive outside of probably quarterback and cornerback with Cormani McLean and Travis Hunter being there in that cornerback duo. Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech, Northwestern, Nebraska has no business losing to those teams. And Maryland, Purdue, Illinois, I think those are games where Nebraska could lose. But like I talked about earlier, especially with Maryland and Illinois, Nebraska will be in these games on the road at Illinois and at home against Maryland where they will win. They'll win by single digits and they will pull away. They will maybe come from behind. And I think that Illinois overall is actually a better team than Nebraska. I think that this team, though, their 
well-coached enough, and they have phenomenal talent, really, at quarterback and wide receiver to where I think that they will pick up a win, an upset win, whether it's on the road or maybe at home against Iowa or, dare I say it, Michigan, or on the road at Wisconsin, Michigan State, Illinois, or Minnesota. Beating Minnesota in week one in exactly six days would be an upset. Minnesota is favored by around a touchdown, and I think Minnesota is a much better team than Nebraska will be this season. But it is possible. I don't think it will happen. I think the Cornhuskers lose to Minnesota, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, and I think that they will play Baylor in their bowl game. But I think that the Nebraska Cornhuskers and Matt Rule will lose to Rule's former school in the Baylor Bears, now coached by Dave Aranda, as I think that Baylor will have a bounce-back year after disappointing the entire college football world in 2022. This team, again, will be a middle-of-the-road Power 5 team. They'll be an average to maybe above-average Big Ten team. The Big Ten is incredibly, they're incredibly deep this season. So for Nebraska to go better than 7-5 in the regular season would honestly be very impressive. And it's possible. I could see a win against Iowa or on the road at Michigan State or on the road at Minnesota. Wisconsin... It's very tough for me to see that, but it's possible. Michigan is near impossible, but nothing's impossible in college football, especially when it's two Power 5 opponents playing each other. Think of Missouri. Missouri and Georgia last year. Missouri had no business playing Georgia that close, but they did. Georgia went on to go 15-0 and win the national title. Nebraska could totally play Michigan competitively or beat them, and Michigan could go on to win it all and go 14-1 and or 15-0. and The Big Ten, much like the SEC or much like really any Power 5 conference, outside of maybe the ACC when Clemson or Florida State are very dominant, is that conference where upsets can happen. Not as crazily as Nebraska's old conference, the Big 12, but we've seen Michigan State go on the road and beat Illinois. Or Indiana beat Illinois, and then Illinois is ranked in the top 15 after you know, earning six or seven straight wins after losing in that opener to the the Hoosiers. Up next, I do have some projections in regards to Nebraska this season. I think that their offense will be efficient, scoring nearly a half a point per play. They'll pass for over 250 yards per game, and I would have them rush for more yards per game. However, I think that the offensive line and the lack of talent there will severely limit how much Nebraska can run the football. An example of this is my breakout player, Gabe Irvin Jr. We'll get to him more in detail in a minute, but I don't even have him reaching over 700 rushing yards. And that's not because he isn't good. That's because the offensive line, I think, will be that bad by Big Ten standards. It will be one of the worst offensive lines in the Big Ten yet again, though not quite as bad as Rutgers or Indiana's will be. In spite of what I think will be a poor offensive line, I think Nebraska's running back room is too talented and diverse in terms of player personnel to be limited by most Big Ten opponents. They certainly won't be stopped. They won't be a dominant force either, but I do think that the running game will be improved compared to previous seasons, despite the offensive line remaining relatively the same. And that's because the running back room, 
could be best described as a Swiss Army knife, in my opinion. Whether it's Gabe Irvin Jr., who's six foot, 220 pounds, he's only a sophomore, but he's big, he's physical. In my mind, he's at one end of the spectrum of running backs where he has that power back, Big Ten running back type build. He only has 57 carries in his career for barely over 200 yards and two rushing touchdowns and averages around four yards per carry. So he's the least proven in the backfield, but he is starting. According to reports on rlads.com, and actually the depth chart was updated today at 2.37 p.m., Gabe Irvin Jr. will be the starter, most likely. And then behind him is Ramir Johnson, who I think is at the opposite end of that running back spectrum, 5'10", 185 pounds. There's a reason that Mark Whipple wanted him to play at wide receiver last year and get him catches out of the backfield, which never really happened. But also there was a good reason why Johnson averaged over four yards per carry behind an atrocious offensive line in 2021 and 2022. He was able to get through holes due to his size, and he does have some speed to him and also has receiver capabilities, like what was shown in the Michigan game in 2021, where he just continued to burn running backs on wheel routes. He can be a mismatch advantage for the Huskers in passing situations out of the backfield, in my opinion. And then in between Johnson and Gabe Irvin Jr. is Anthony Grant, who had over 200 carries last season and nearly 1,000 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. However, Grant surprisingly is listed as running back number three. I don't know exactly why this is. Maybe he has the lowest ceiling out of all the running backs, and if he does, that just speaks to the talent in the room. Because Anthony Grant, in my opinion, is a great running back when you don't have a good offensive line. He averaged 4.2 yards per carry last year with a team that didn't even come close to averaging 4 yards per carry on the ground. They averaged around 3.5 yards per carry in the rushing game. So the Cornhuskers have three capable running backs, and I think that the majority of their 58 touchdowns are going to come from the running back room or quarterback Jeff Sims, who on top of his nearly 3,000 passing yards this year, I think that he'll get several more on the ground, along with 22 passing touchdowns. Nebraska, once again, defensively will be better at defending the pass than getting to the quarterback. Their secondary will be better than their defensive ends, and I do think this defense will struggle against defending the run. But all in all, They'll have around 25 sacks on the season. Their pass rush will probably be better than last year, just given MJ Sherman, given Nick Henrich and Luke Reimer being healthy and being with the program for another season. Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner, Ochon Mathis were great players, but unfortunately, the Eric Chenander just couldn't get it done last season. And I think that with Tony White as the defensive coordinator... Maybe the Cornhuskers defensively and, and the Black Shirts will have less talent, but scheme can compensate for talent, and Tony White is a far better coordinator than Eric Chenander was. My offensive MVP is quarterback Jeff Sims. Whether it's Gabe Irvin Jr., Anthony Grant, Ramir Johnson, I thought that one of the running backs could have potentially subbed in at this position. But I think Jeff Sims is going to carry this offense in a lot of situations. 
I don't anticipate that he will exactly be healthy for the entire season. I rarely predict injuries, but given Nebraska's poor offensive line and the fact that Sims over the past two seasons has either been, whether it's benched or injured, I'm not exactly sure, but he hasn't played the full didn't play the full 2021 or 2022 season and with a bad offensive line one that was potentially worse than Georgia Tech's a few seasons when Sims was there I do expect Harburg and maybe even Purdy to come in and have to substitute in for Sims who might be fatigued exhausted or just injured but I think he'll nearly get 3,000 passing yards he'll pass for around 20 to 25 touchdowns I settled on 22 I do think because of the defenses he'll face and the lack of a supporting cast in the trenches, there will be a hefty amount of turnovers, but that's why Sims is going to be around for more than just one year, at least I'd expect, and he'll have, I'd expect, 10 or more rushing touchdowns on the ground, along with probably around or more than 500 rushing yards. Defensively, the most valuable player with the black shirts will be linebacker MJ Sherman. MJ Sherman will be a huge part of this defense from day one. A backup at Georgia who had NFL players starting everywhere, Sherman is going to immediately be a force on the football field. I think that there is a great chance he leads the team in sacks, and I have him getting five sacks. He'll have a forced fumble and a few passes defended, several tackles for loss, and I think that while he probably won't lead the team, in total tackles, I would leave that up, leave that to Nick Henrich or Luke Reimer to do. He'll be close to leading the team in total tackles. I think MJ Sherman is going to be the best player defensively for Nebraska this season. And that speaks to how good even Georgia backups are, and that's what MJ Sherman was, but it also speaks to the fact that Nebraska defensively, they have not been good. If they've had Garrett Nelson Malcolm Hartzog was good last season, and Tommy Hill at times even looked promising last year. And, you know, Caleb Tanner, Ochon Mathis, definitely some good players at times. And there's even a player whose name that I'm forgetting early in the Scott Frost era at corner who was phenomenal. I don't know why I forgot him, along with JoJo Doman. So Nebraska's had some good players, but MJ Sherman from a recruit standpoint and being developed by that Georgia staff, I think will set himself apart from the, the first quarter of the Minnesota game from the rest of the team. My breakout player is Gabe Irvin Jr., obviously having less than 60 total rushing attempts in his career and then having 161 carries will be breakout. He'll have over 500 rushing yards along with two other players, that being quarterback Jeff Sims and, in my opinion, Anthony Grant or Ramir Johnson. He'll have around eight rushing touchdowns and average close to four yards per carry, if not a little over that. I have him getting 4.1 yards per carry. I think that the offense is definitely going to be the better side of the football and have the better players than the defense, as I've already emphasized before, and that's why two of the key players that I projected statistics for are on the offensive side of the ball. The advantage that the Nebraska Cornhuskers have on the offensive side of the ball is striking in comparison to what they have in the trenches and on defense. Despite the Big Ten being a league that is decided 
in the trenches. I think that Nebraska has so much talent at quarterback, wide receiver, running back, and even tight end, despite Eric Gilbert likely not playing this season. Those advantages, the depth, the explosiveness in the skill positions will be so much that I think Nebraska will be able to overwhelm much of their opponents in September and October, leading them to already have six wins and clinch bowl eligibility by the time that the November game against Michigan State kicks off, at a time that has yet to be announced. I think that Colorado, Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech, and Northwestern are barren in talent compared to Nebraska. I even include Colorado in there because, as as I've mentioned earlier, Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, Cormani McLean, and maybe two, three, or four other players are the only ones of note at Colorado, at least this year. I think Deion Sanders long-term is going to win multiple Big 12 championships, maybe even a national title. We'll see. But this year, no, absolutely not. There is so much rebuilding to do. And even looking at Nick Saban or Kirby Smart in both of their first seasons at their respective programs that are now dynasties, Saban went 7-6, and six, having to clean up a previous mess by Mike Shula, and Kirby Smart inherited what was a good program built by Mark Richt, and they nearly lost to Nichols at home. So year one, even with the transfer portal, just because it's Colorado and having 70 new players means team chemistry is going to be awful when Colorado kicks off against TCU and likely the same against Nebraska, I think just means it'll be a rough year for Deion Sanders. And add in a tough schedule, a year where the Pac-12 is the deepest it's been potentially in over a decade, it's just not going to work well. Nebraska's in a good position to, in my opinion, dominate Colorado, and definitely the same with Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech, and Northwestern, who just went through a whole shock with Pat Fitzgerald being fired, and now David Braun, of course, being the interim head coach. I think that Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota, and Michigan, those four games are anything but guaranteed wins. Michigan, I think, is a guaranteed loss here. I have Michigan as my number one team in the sport of college football for 2023. I think Minnesota and Illinois could both be in the top 25. I have Minnesota at 16th. I have Illinois just outside of my top 25, but definitely inside my top 30. And Purdue, I wouldn't have even in my top 30, but I think Purdue will be a below average to average Power 5 team, which is about where Nebraska is, but slightly lower. So Purdue could totally beat Nebraska as well. But I think between Minnesota, Michigan, Illinois, and Purdue, it's likely that Nebraska will win two of those games, very likely. And I think that Illinois and Purdue are the most likely wins. Minnesota, it's early in the season. I think that they're the second best team that Nebraska will face in their August, September, and October slate, the best being Michigan. And it's the first game of the year. Minnesota is going to have a better roster, better team chemistry, and in my opinion, currently the better head coach, better coaching staff, and home field advantage. Can Nebraska upset Minnesota, who's currently around a touchdown favorite? Of course. And we're going to learn a lot in that game because they're two power five opponents that are average at worst and good to potentially great at best, especially when looking at Minnesota. But 
That's six days away. Illinois and Purdue lost a lot from last season, and I think that Nebraska will be able to exploit, potentially exploit Illinois' secondary. Illinois has a serious advantage, though, when it comes to their defensive line versus Nebraska's offensive line, but Nebraska then again, I think, has a serious advantage when comparing both offensive skill positions. I think that's a game where Brett Bielema drops and Matt Rule and his team are going to be angry after losing to Michigan. It's also on a Friday night at 8 p.m., October 6th, so that will be cool. And Purdue, I think Nebraska straight up has more talent then. It's a home game, and it's also going to be homecoming. November, there's road games at Wisconsin, Michigan State, and home games versus Iowa and Maryland. After starting out 6-2, and two, Nebraska, I think, will likely finish 7-5 and five or 8-4. and 9-3 and three would be a stretch. 10-2 and two would definitely be a stretch. Maybe less of a stretch if Minnesota's a win, but I think those are possible. Anything beyond those would be impossible until, of course, it happens, and I would be proven wrong there. Nebraska will lose to Michigan for sure, but every other game could be winnable. And then I think that this season will be a success, as Nebraska hasn't gone bowling since 2016, and they will go bowling this year and also have a winning regular season record, going 7-5. and five. Not just 6-6 six and six and reaching the bare minimum, they will get seven regular season wins, winning more than half of the regular season games and picking up four Big Ten wins against Illinois, Maryland, Purdue, and Northwestern. This team has multiple dual-threat quarterbacks, awesome wide receiver and running back play, their defensive back depth is impressive, and they're fast. The problem with Nebraska, of course, is trench play on both sides of the ball, a new scheme on defense, which I think because of those weaknesses in the trenches will take time to set in. And I still question the physicality of this team, but that mostly relates to the offensive line defensive line, along with the fact that I don't think Nebraska under Scott Frost had great strength and conditioning. So I think it will take more than a year to get these players properly conditioned and trained to compete. And by compete, I mean like against Michigan or Minnesota or Wisconsin, those kind of games, which because a lot of those teams outside of Michigan were down last year, Nebraska ended up competing with, but I think as all those teams are going to be much better this season than they were last year, when the Big Ten is strong, like I think it will be in 2023, it will require physicality to play within one score of those teams, and I just don't think Nebraska is there yet. Realistically, the ceiling of this team is probably 8-5, and five, and a realistic floor, I'd say, is 5-7. and seven. But like I did in my Minnesota video, TCU happened last year, and other disastrous seasons like Rich Rodriguez at Michigan happen. So you have to factor in the unthinkable. The unthinkable, I think, for Nebraska could be 3-9 and nine as a floor, but I think there's so much talent and a schedule that's easier than what we're typically accustomed to with Nebraska that I think 4-8 and eight would be the absolute bottom of the barrel for this team. 10-4, and four, winning the West, potentially by a slight margin and likely losing in Indianapolis and also in the bowl game would probably be the outer space ceiling of this football team. Thank you for watching my preview on the Nebraska Cornhuskers entering 2023. 
Make sure to subscribe, like this video, and hit the notification bell so you can get notified when I post more videos like this until the end of next week, previewing every Big Ten football team, along with releasing my video discussing my All-Americans next week, and also my Big Ten power rankings and my Heisman predictions and other topics that I can fit in. This weekend and next week is going to be pumped full of more content than I have ever produced, and I'm very excited. Have a great day, guys.